Tributes following the death of Queen Elizabeth II have continued to pour in over the weekend. Yesterday, Prince William and Harry, along with their wives, greeted mourners. And the oak coffin, uh, Carrie, which has in it Queen Elizabeth, has left Balmoral Castle. It's in Edinburgh. It's accompanied, the procession is accompanied by the Queen's daughter, Princess Anne, and her husband. Our guest today is Sean Lang from Anglia Ruskin University, and he's written an article in The Conversation praising the Queen. Hello, Sean. Hello. Hi. So you celebrate the Queen in this article that you've written for The Conversation, uh, calling her a modernizer. What, what do you mean by that? The monarchy has changed enormously in the time that she's been on, or in the time that she was on the throne. And uh, if you sort of think back to when she came to the monarchy, although the, the King George VI was much loved um, by by the you know the British people and by you know people of the then empire, um, nevertheless the monarchy itself as an as an institution was very old fashioned, very stuffy. And there's been a huge change in terms of openness and if you like sort of democratizing the monarchy. Um, a lot of that actually was down to Prince Philip when he first uh, appeared on the scene. He was a great believer in sort of sweeping away all the old ways. Um, and so a lot of the very old very rather uh, sort of snobbish traditions that were uh, associated with the British court went in the 50s, much more openness to television, of course, the coronation being the biggest one right at the start, but also very importantly, the way in which the Queen wanted to build a sort of relationship with the ordinary people um, for the United Kingdom, and very importantly, of course, with the peoples of the Commonwealth. So all those walkabouts, all those sort of meetings and direct meetings that she had, as well as the establishing a relationship with, uh, with the various political leaders around the Commonwealth, meant that there was a sort of direct experience of the Queen, which I don't think there was really an equivalent of in her predecessors. And in that sense, the monarchy has adapted to the needs, first of the 20th century, and continue to adapt for the 21st century. And that, of course, is how things continue. So in that sense, yes, she's done, I think she did a, a remarkably good job, and not one necessarily you would have anticipated when she first came to the throne as a very um, inexperienced 25-year-old. Yeah, you mentioned the walkabouts, very important there, but also she was a modernizer with telecommunications, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Um, various ways in which you can see that. I mean, obviously, you go right the way through to today with, you know, the Royal Family website and all and the uh, sort of Twitter feeds and what have you, all the sort of things that you expect uh, for today. Um, but it's not just that um, they're sort of in tune with that, but that to some extent, the uh, under her, the royal family got ahead of the game, sometimes indeed a little bit too far ahead. Um, so I mentioned the televising the coronation, and there was a lot of uh, nervousness and uncertainty about whether that was a good idea, and uh, and, and she agreed, and, uh, and again, sort of Prince Philip was a great one for promoting it. But I said that sometimes they might go a little bit too far ahead because the film The Royal Family, which the BBC made in 1969, I think it was, um, which showed uh, a lot of the sort of home life of, of, the, of the royal family, and particularly up at Balmoral, um, that had a huge impact at the time. And then since then, uh, there's a sort of feeling, I think, that uh, uh, maybe it had gone a bit too far. And so it's, it's actually quite difficult to get, uh, get hold of it nowadays. This has sort of been withdrawn from many of the streaming platforms. But nevertheless, um, sort of in keeping in touch with the latest uh, trends and uh, and preferences and styles and fashions and, and so on, obviously helped enormously by the various members of, of the royal family. Um, 
And uh, this is why things like, you know, the Olympic stunt and the Paddington Bear stunt in the, in the Platinum Jubilee are a little bit more significant than it might at first appear because they do show a monarch and indeed a monarchy, which is at home with, um, you know, the, the, the interest, the passions, the, uh, even the sort of sense of humour of, of not just people within Britain, but I think, you know, they, they were both sort of big global hits. And that is, shows a sort of sureness of touch. And if you like an ability, because after all, if you can relax enough to, have a bit of a, a leg pull of yourself then it shows that you are quite confident not just in the technology not just in the media but also in the relationship you've got with the people who'll be watching so I think there's been quite a if you like a maturing of the monarchy uh, as well as a modernizing process. And she's a steadfast diplomatic figure in the way that she did not weigh in on political issues and matters the way that say uh, people are wondering if King Charles will. Um, but some would say that the queen didn't modernize and step enough with the times. Like she was in South Africa during apartheid and made no comment on discrimination or didn't make her, her ideas known about that. And then there have been calls even now uh, for the royals to denounce the wealth that they gain from the global south. How do we reconcile the figure of, you know, the steadfast service with the latter? I think it's a question of expectations and managing expectations, because a lot of the work, a lot of the sort of political work that the Queen uh, has done has has been behind the scenes, and that because that's the nature of it. And so, you know, when we say that, um, you know, she doesn't intervene on political matters, she doesn't intervene politically, um, or sorry, I should say publicly on political matters, uh, and only on a couple of occasions, and then very, very guardedly, did she say something in public, which was taken as a statement. I mean, there's one, for example, about the Scottish referendum in 2014. But these were very, very uh, uh, guarded. That one was quite thinly veiled. <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, thinly veiled. But nevertheless, it wasn't. It wasn't actually a sort of big speech or anything of the sort. Mm-hmm. Most of what she does is behind the scenes, and constitutionally, she has this right to be consulted and to uh, and to advise and to warn and so on. And it means that the UK Prime Minister has has to doesn't choose to or anything like that has to constitutionally um, meet her on a, on a weekly basis and to listen to her advice and so on. Now, what that means is that it's happening behind the scenes. We do not know what is said. There are no minutes taken and there's sort of strict rules of confidentiality about it. We can speculate. The Crown, the TV series, speculates about it. There was even a, a stage play or, you know, based on these audiences, but we don't know. And that can be very frustrating, I think, for people um, who are looking for something more overt from the monarch. As you say, a statement, uh, whether it's a statement or an apology, or at the time of Diana's death, you know, just wanting to see uh, see the Queen or see the, the, the flag on Buckingham Palace um, down at half-mast. There are, there are expectations. Sometimes, um, I think it has to be said, you know, that the Queen and the those advising her have got it wrong. But for the most part, um, I think I, I, they'll never they'll never satisfy everyone and they'll never satisfy everyone who, who wants uh, to see the Queen basically take whatever line that they think is right. But in terms of apartheid, for example, um, a lot of the arguments about that were going on in the Commonwealth and among Commonwealth leaders. And it was the sort of thing which could easily have pulled the Commonwealth apart, particularly when you had um, uh, British prime ministers not supporting sanctions against um, South Africa and in the 70s against uh, Rhodesia. Um, and, and this was very much the case in the 80s with Mrs. Thatcher. The fact that the Commonwealth didn't fall apart, a lot of that was down to the sort of influence and the uh, mediating and above all the sort of pacifying influence that, that the Queen had. So that's the sort of thing. It's not, it doesn't catch the eye. It won't give you the 
um, statement um, that perhaps many people would look for and hope for. But it's very, it can be very effective. And that's the nature of the role. It's a strange role. It's a very difficult role. It's not one that many politicians, I think, would feel um, easy, uh, you know, would find it easy to do. It must be an incredibly frustrating role. And you're right to say that as Prince, Prince Charles sort of benefited from the fact he's not bound by it and was able to speak his mind on a number of issues. But he understands perfectly well, as he said, that as king, he's in a different ball game, different role, and he will have to keep those opinions behind the scenes um, and or else simply leave them to others. So it's I, I, managing expectations is not easy. People will always feel that more could have been done or more could have been done publicly. Um, and, and I guess that's that, that's just the nature of the territory. But within the bounds of what the Constitution allows, I think uh, she used her influence um, very effectively and to very good, um, uh, good, you know, good outcomes. OK, Sean, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're very welcome.